What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, hey, what do you say, everybody? This is Brian McWilliams, and this is Electric Liberty Land, the empirically best show on the podcasting internet. So, welcome. This is episode number 98, which means you can find all the show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL98. And this is going to be an episode where uh, I talk about a wide, wide range of things. A lot has gone down over the past week. And, of course, I had Dave Smith on last week talking a little bit before uh, the election midterms came to bear. So I'll talk a little bit about the results. I'm not going to get too deep into that and uh, and then get into the California wildfires, get into the mass shooting that occurred here in my backyard in California, as well as, as the name of this episode might indicate, a shocking turn of events wherein hell hath done frozen over because I actually agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on something. And no, it's not about her stupid apartment in Washington, D.C. But before we get into all that good stuff, I do want to remind you guys that we have a sponsor on this show that I hope you will go and support. That is Ammo.com. Yes, Ammo.com. They are fellow libertarians over there that not only want to support our show by giving listeners a discount. If you buy $200 of ammo, they will give you a $20 discount on that. But you also get to choose a liberty-centric nonprofit of your choice on the website. They've got something like 20 of them over there to donate, and 1% of every sale does go to these organizations. That's on top. That's not just 1% of the uh, the the revenue that they pulled in. That's 1% straight off the top. So check that out, guys. Go to ammo.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. Help support our show and get yourself some fine ammunition. Okay. So where to begin, where to begin is the real question in this episode. As I said, there's just so many things going on. I'll, you know, I'll start off with the election and uh, my reaction to the midterms because, you know, Dave and I were talking about going in. I had said, you know, made a bold prediction on my part, which was that I thought the Democrats were vastly overestimating the turnout that they would get and the reaction that they would get from these midterm elections. They were expecting this blue wave, to, you know, the hashtag blue wave, which, of course, is a great sign for tidy bowl. I don't know what those people are doing over there. How are you not tying it in? And, of course, disappointed me when the blue wave somewhat came to fruition because there were ample tidy bowl jokes flushing the blue wave down the toilet that could be made should the Democrats not have succeeded. And I argued that they still did. But going into that, I thought that the Republicans actually might be able to hold on to the House. I thought they might even be able to hold on to a couple of seats. Now, I should have taken into account the fact that there were so many retiring seats in the House, so you didn't have an incumbent Republican actually able to defend that seat, as would normally happen. And typically, incumbents are uh, a little bit better prepared to defend their seats, even in a reactionary period. And statistically, over the course of, I don't even know, the last century, 
whatever the the party that's out of power typically in the house you have a massive switch of seats for barack obama it was like 55 or something like that seats flipped the last election it went back the other way so this thing is a constant you typically always have seats flip-flop you know i think the republicans gained back 35 or 45 uh you know last time so this is a standard thing it's to be expected Now, with all the Brett Kavanaugh stuff, I thought, okay, the Republicans are going to be galvanized. They're going to come out in mass. I think the independents were actually pretty turned off by the Democratic strategy here, the despicable display they put on leading into the Kavanaugh thing, this whole concept of all women must be believed despite any any evidence that might support these claims. And of course, two of them have already been disproved completely and utterly, and there's actually counter lawsuits going on now where these people might go to jail. Unfortunately, I was wrong. Well, not unfortunately. Let me say that, not unfortunately, because in no way do I want the Republicans to have a stranglehold on everything either. And and there is a lot of argument to be made that, in fact, it's the best thing that could happen to have the House and Senate opposed, because now there will be a essentially a stalemate where nothing can get done legislatively, except, of course, we know that they will always agree on two things, spending more money they don't have and continuing to support the war state. Those are two things that the parties agree on. And despite any any uh, sort of pretending, any uh, facades that they might paint on, you know, they get those uh, those sweet Sports Illustrated body paint people to come and paint a bikini on so you can't see the Republicans and Democrats' tits are clearly hanging out because those are some more supporting titties, people. But, you know, despite the pretensions and, uh, and, and pretenses of having differences, we know where their allegiances lie. So... I was not supporting a GOP uh, retention of the House, but as I, as I expressed to Dave, I just, I'm so turned off by the left. I'm so disgusted by the tactics they use. And I was just looking at this, you know, this utter confidence they had going into this, that they were the right way. And this was going to be some sort of repudiation of Trump, which didn't come to fruition. And I wanted to see the tears. I wanted to see those same progressive assholes that were just so confident Hillary Clinton was going to usher in a new era of, of I don't even know, it, for me, a new era of warmongering, uh, overtaxation, and uh, assassination. But for them, I don't know, some sort of feminist utopia, even though Hillary Clinton is no friend of women, as she's proven time and time again, by throwing women under the bus that dare accuse her husband rightfully of rape and molestation. So long story short, though, the Democrats picked up the House. However, What the media doesn't want to tell you and doesn't seem to want to cover is that this in no way is a a repudiation of Trump. In fact, they got far less seats than expected by a, I mean, you would expect them to get something if this was a real blue wave they're talking about. You would expect a Obama style, you know, 55 seats, which I think is what the Republicans took from when Obama took office, Uh, which again, it wasn't even a (laughs) repudiation, repudiation, aha, collusion, which wasn't even a it really, a, any sort of statement about Barack Obama, it just typically happens where when you have a president that's in there, typically things go the other way. Um, you know, just the other party gets galvanized against it. People, no matter who's in there, seem to find an issue and they blame the president directly, which, of course, is typically retarded because there are so many other things at play and Congress is to blame for the majority of the issues. So anyway, the gains the Democrats got were, in fact, pretty sad. You know, they were uh, they were just they were the just the tip of trying to fuck Trump back for uh, for whatever he's done. 
And I would venture to say that you know, you're reading these stories from from Democratic pundits saying that, oh, they're really energized now. They, they feel very strongly that 2020 is a real possibility. Meanwhile, I'm looking at it saying, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't think that's really true. I mean, number one, Trump's going to have a huge advantage as the sitting president. And because uh, if the economy doesn't completely collapse, then he's probably going to have the, I mean, let's see, by 2020, the possibility of a completely denuclearized, well, in theory, pretend denuclearized, North Korea is on the table. I mean, at this point, I wouldn't even be that shocked if they actually did have some sort of reunification. They're already demilitarizing the zone. Their cooperation is going. Everything seems to be moving forward very quickly on the Korean Peninsula. And Donald Trump was very center in that happening. So he can boast that. He can boast the economy, the regulations he's tearing down or helping. He can still say, despite all these these environmental loonies uh, coming at Donald Trump, he can still say that America, despite his pulling out of the Paris Accord and, and, and pulling out of all these international treaties that hamper us while allowing all these other nations to continue to, to go full bore with their industrialization, America's CO2 is still dropping. Now, of course, I would argue that that has nothing to do with regulation. And and clearly, when Trump pulls back the fucking regulations and we continue to see CO2 regulations dropping or CO2 emissions dropping, well, doesn't that just tell you that that's the market at work? Doesn't that tell you that more efficient engines, more efficient matters of production would lead to lower carbon emissions anyway? And counterpoint to that, okay, I'll play devil's advocate here. You could say the counterpoint to that, well, the regulations, in fact, kick-started people moving in that direction. To which I would say, again, if efficiency is the goal and the most efficient manner of production happens to make less CO2 because you're creating better engines that, uh, that are containing more of that gas, that are reutilizing that gas rather than simply expelling it out, if we're moving on to, uh, to cleaner coal systems— Whatever it may be, efficiency is what the market craves. You're going to have more power output for less amount of, of shit that you put in there than the problem solving itself. So anyway, Trump can point to that. Additionally, he can say that he's trying to address the problems with the VA. You know, uh, I know he's looking to uh, limit the amount of time that's called a, official time. This just came out. But uh, on top of just calling for the VA to write its ship, which he's been very vocal about and has been, been taking actions towards to try to help these veterans, uh, and that ties into the shooting, which I'm going to get into, uh, I guess, is my second topic here. But uh, just released this, this mandate, which says no more, quote unquote, official time can be taken by government workers. And that official time is basically when union workers in the government that are working at the VA get paid to take time off and essentially work for the union to go do union activities, to go to meetings. And a lot of these people, they used to have jobs as, let's say, a nurse at a VA, but now they are in the union and now they get paid a government salary to simply work for the union full time, which is just mind blowing in how absurd it is. I mean, if you're going to take part in a union, that should be either paid by the union. If you're taking that, then you quit your government job and you take a salary working for the union if that's your full time job. Or... The union sublets your wages and you're working outside of your regular work hours, right? Wouldn't that seem to make sense in the most logical fashion? But no, that's not the way it's been set up. So Trump's administration has ended the official time at the VA, which is fantastic, especially when you consider that it costs, at least according to this estimate, $177 million a year in taxpayer money. 
quite a bit of cash that could be going towards better things like actual services, actual doctors, actual nurses that would be helping these veterans. Now, okay, moving on from Trump. All right, enough said about the election. Uh, The libertarians did not do well across the board pretty horribly. And John Odermatt talked about that in Felony Friday. He did a a little bit of a post-election recap because he was very involved with Dale Kern's campaign. Did a great, <laughs> a great pride only for our Lions Pride listeners, drunken recap, which was uh, very entertaining, very true. But I, I'll just add my little two cents here because I know he did a, a pretty large episode on it. But, you know, people are saying, look, this shows you that libertarians aren't going to have their weight there. You know, that, that there, if this was a libertarian time, it was now when, when you've got people that are hating Trump and that you've got these, these Democrats, you know, that are reeling from the Kavanaugh things that people are worried about due process and, and the First Amendment and all these things where you say libertarians should have residence. And, you know, I agree with that. When I go to talk at, at these places, you know, I just gave this, this talk at the, the state uh, social house for, the, for uh, Liberty on the Rocks uh, when I talked at the L.A. Libertarian Convention. I talked to people about the fact that this is the time for libertarianism. Now, that doesn't necessarily relate to the polls, though. That doesn't necessarily resonate in the voting booths. Because what I'm talking about is you can reach these people on issues with the end goals in mind. You can reach people by talking about how what's been tried again and again hasn't been working. Or you can touch in the discontent with the Republican Party, as it might be. You can touch discontent with the with constant state of war, which Republicans and Democrats both are worn out. You could battle the PC culture that has been taking over. There's an endless number of things which you can reach people and find a collaborative environment in which to talk and try to just put that splinter of libertarianism thought into their brain. But you say, okay, then why were people not voting for libertarians? And that's actually very simple. And it's because this election was politicized to the point where the Democrats and, you know, look, Democrats are the harder, harder side to reach than Republicans are, if we're being honest. But the Democrats positioned it as this is the election to end all elections. And Donald Trump is literally a Nazi who must be stopped at all points and in any way, shape or form possible. I mean, you've got these people so fucking riled up that they're banging on Tucker Carlson's door and trying to bash his door in and now have a police investigation going after the Antifa in Washington, D.C., which I'm delighted about, by the way. I hope they fucking all get thrown into jail. But when you've got this level of vitriol built up, when you've got this election literally positioned to people as this is the future of the world, you know, this is they're going to blow up Alderaan and Princess Leia is going to be destroyed or she's going to be imprisoned and raped if you keep Donald Trump in office. Darth Trump. And we must show him. We must make a statement and strike back. Okay, then you've got all these Democrats who now they're not going to listen. They've got the derangement system. They're already out of their PC fucking minds. They're going to vote for the Democrat, period. Doesn't matter. Logic is lost. Reason is lost. And then on the GOP side, because of all this Kavanaugh stuff, like I was talking about, with all the Kavanaugh shit, with all this PC culture shit that's going on, the right is also now galvanized. And you saw it, just like I was talking about earlier. They are galvanized together. They weren't able to keep the House like I thought they might have a chance to, but they were galvanized to say, you know, fuck this. We're going to vote for for GOP across the board. So really, because of this environment, libertarians had no shot. And considering all the shenanigans that were pulled where the libertarians being left out of debates, Larry Sharp didn't get a chance to debate anybody because they're cowards. They wouldn't they wouldn't talk to him. You got Dale Kearns that's dropped out of an event that he was promised inclusion in. That that happened more than once. Meanwhile, you do see like 
you know, women like like uh, Lucy Brenton out in Indiana, she actually had a pretty good showing. I think you know, I'm not sure exactly what the final tally of it was, but she was polling somewhere around five percent, uh, maybe it got more than that the last time I checked, and she was included in the debates, and she really puts out a great showing. And she is a woman who knows her shit. Incredibly impressive. But again, in the wake of all of this rhetoric back and forth, there's just, there's no chance. And in the light of that, you know, it really does circle back to us having to win the culture. And that's going to happen slowly, but we have to be as principled as we can. You know, we have to stick to our, uh, (laughs) I guess it's a bad pun. We have to stick to our guns on this one. And we have to show them that, look, we don't change according to the way the wind's blowing. We're not going to bend to appeal to your side of things. Now, I might agree with your end goal in mind. Again, I'm all for ending poverty. I'm all for uh, human rights. I'm all for equality of the sexes. I'm all for equality of the races. I'm all for all of those things. But I don't want to get there the way you want to get there. And the way you want to get there has failed over and over again. So let's, let's win this culture. War. Let's change the culture. And actually, I'm going to be talking to the Liberty Meme guys on next week's show because taking back comedy is one way to do that. So I mentioned uh, when I was talking to Dave last week, you know, there's no reason libertarians shouldn't be able to own comedy and own cultural relevance in regards to being the arbitrators of what is actually morally correct and incorrect and doing it in a way which resonates and mocks those that still cling to these antiquated notions that are so easily dismissed. Okay, let's move on because I want to talk to uh, this mass shooting that just happened, which, I mean, really, it really hit home for me. And the reason for that is that this shooting took place at a bar called The Borderline, which is a, uh, a fantastically fun bar. It was basically for uh, line dancing which I went there with a couple of good friends of mine. Uh, when I went there, one of them was pregnant and uh, thank God just had her baby. Now a baby boy, this is a couple, but uh, I went there, did some line dancing, did some drinking. I had a great time. Uh, it was packed. You know, a lot of high school kids go there because you can be there under age. They, uh, they card you and give you a wristband if you're of age, but you know, I was there, I was there probably four months ago where this uh, shooting took place. So, it really did resonate with me because I thought, what if I was there? What if my friends were there? Because they, you know, these these uh, friends of mine that I went with, uh, again, the the mother of was pregnant. She's been there sometimes like eight times. It's one of their favorite places to go. And it's all the way out in Thousand Oaks, which is about, I'd say, with without traffic, it's about 35 minutes from me. That's mostly due to this Los Angeles layout. But um, it's, it's a decent drive, but uh, not too far in the context of a city. So, you know, you, you think, well, shit, that could have been me. And then, of course, you think, what, what, am I, what would I have done if I was there? <laughs> like, like Mark Wahlberg in the sky. Oh, I would have tackled the guy and I would have taken the plane. And, okay, Marky Mark. Feel the vibrations. But it does hit home. And um, I will say this, though. I in no way, shape, or form feel any different about Second Amendment rights. I still think that there should be... If not open carry, ideally, but uh, if not open carry, then I think at least you should be able to get a concealed carry license very easily. Because we do see these things keep happening at places where there's no guns allowed. Of course, this is another place where no guns are allowed. The bouncers don't have guns. 
nobody inside has guns. They check you. They're not allowed. And, you know, if you're a private institution, that is your right to say no guns allowed. You can provide that. But I would hope that you would actually have somebody outside that have a gun at least, have armed security. And now we're seeing California in the wake of this horrible, horrible tragedy call for more, quote, responsible gun control, reasonable gun control, all of these happy words that mean absolutely nothing because this incident would not have been stopped by any sort of gun measures that they're proposing anyway. You know, this guy, he used a, it was a Glock, uh, like a high-powered Glock. They say he had illegal clips, but at this point in California, you could have a like a grandfathered in illegal clip that's like 12 bullets. You know, it's like they they've, they restricted him, but it's saying it's illegal doesn't re- really mean anything. The guy still had to load and reload, and there just was not anybody in there to stop him. You know, he marched up, he shot the security guard who was unarmed, and he threw some smoke bombs in. He went inside and he just started shooting. And you know, fortunately, they were able to stop him eventually, but not before twelve people died. And in no way do I want to seem callous to the to the victims or the circumstances surrounding it. But like I said. I wish somebody there had a gun. If I was going to be there, I would hope that someone around me had a gun, if not myself. So at least you can fight back. At least you're not just just cattle. You know, they're telling you people are smashing out windows. And the way this is situated, it's right by the freeway. You have a parking lot. It's a big, it's a big structure, but it's got a patio with glass windows. It's got glass windows along the outside where you can kind of jump out the window and roll down the hill, which I'm sure a lot of people were doing. They said in that in that crush of people trying to escape this uh, this slaughter. People were just jumping out the windows, jumping off the balcony, all that. And it's been shown time and time again, by the way, that when these shootings happen, if there is someone there with a gun, even if they hear the sound of a gunshot, that typically that shooter will stop and run away. So right there, you don't even need to shoot the guy. All you need to do is fire a shot in the air or clack that shotgun. And that person says, oh, you know what? Shit, I don't want to die. I made a mistake. Now, that's not every case because obviously sometimes these people, they end up taking their own lives when they're done. And this guy was a former Marine. So who knows? He may or may not have been scared by gunfire. I mean, if he was in Afghanistan serving his time there and he might have come back with PTSD, which he clearly did. So he probably got shot at. So he might not have blinked an eye if somebody shot back at him. But at least they can shoot back at him. At least they can slow him down. At least he's got to take cover. And if he doesn't take cover, even fucking better. Then you can shoot him in the goddamn head. Shoot him in the fucking heart. Take him down. But none of that happened here because nobody was armed. Not even the security that is supposed to be keeping this place safe. So in response to that, I uh, sincerely, sincerely hope that we don't get any more ridiculous restrictions on our gun rights here in California, which is already one of the most restricted gun rights states in the entire union. So, again, (laughs) I don't know what they're possibly going to do. And one of the other things I'm worried about is that this story is going to get taken and bastardized in regards to a quote that the shooter posted on Facebook. And I'm not going to say his name, by the way, because I don't want to. I don't want to give him any more credit. I don't want one more result out there that that could cite his name because I don't want any, you know, I, I do think the media plays in this. So I'm, I'm going to get into a moment. But here's a Facebook update that was attributed to this guy by CNN saying he posted around the times of the shootings. And he said, quote, I hope people call me insane with laughing emojis. 
Wouldn't that just be a big bowl of irony? Yeah, dot, dot, dot. I'm insane. But the only thing you people do after these shootings is hopes and prayers or keep you in my thoughts every time and wonder why these keep happening. So you hear that quote and you know a publication like CNN or a news outlet like CNN or an MSNBC, any one of these leftist shill fuckbag media sites is going to use that quote and they're going to say that he was saying himself that we need gun control, that all we do is say hopes and prayers or keep you in my thoughts and we do nothing. Well, he was clearly mocking the fact that we don't have gun control and this was him in his own crazy way making a statement. You know, he's right. We don't do anything. We've got to outlaw guns. We've got to we've got to go a full Australia and outlaw guns, of course, or China, which, of course, they just had 24 fucking people stabbed in an incident and outlaw guns, which is not what he's fucking saying, in my opinion. In my opinion. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is that people keep saying hopes and cares, people my thoughts, but in regards to somebody coming home from Afghanistan and all the veterans out there, we continue to have this ongoing massive war state. We continue to churn through young kids that are joining up in the military who aren't the, ain't the rich kids. Although I did know a buddy in college who joined up who was a rich kid. And of course, Howie Snowden joined up. <laughs> Oh, uh, so, so, you know, it's, it's the poor and the lost. I, I, that's probably the best way to say it. <laughs> it's the poor and the lost. So, yeah, the poor and the lost are up for the most part. And these people are going into this meat grinder where they're, they're stationed out in Afghanistan. You're in this different culture, in a different world where cruelty, full of people getting blown up in the fucking streets, fighting for something that doesn't relate to you, that means nothing to people back home, and is not even really thought about here. They don't even cover the wars in the mainstream media anymore. No, all they do is talk about Trump and bullshit and PC and interactions between races and, and, and sexism and goddamn hashtag me too. They don't want to talk about the wars. They don't want to talk about all the atrocities going on in Yemen. They don't want to talk about Afghanistan being the longest war we've ever had in history, but think about how many people are churning through that meat grinder that are coming home that are fucked up in their heads. And they're not getting the treatment because we go and we have this war state and then we don't have any services for them and come back. And it's too expensive because of the medical cartels for them to get treatment when they come home on their own dime. So they go through the VA, which is, of course, too busy going to union meetings to help them, doesn't have enough of the budget allocated to help them. It's mired in completely, I already said antiquated uh, about five minutes ago, I'll say we had completely antiquated servicing models out of date, doesn't have enough staff, takes people weeks and weeks, if not months, to go and see a psychiatrist, or to just get basic medical care. That's what this guy's talking about. If anything, I would say that he's making the point that you need to end this war state and you got to take care of veterans. Otherwise, this shit's going to keep happening. And maybe he's on the psychotropic drugs too. I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what they give you for PTSD. I'm sure it's some sort of mix of antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, and I don't know what else. But I know it's probably not great for you. So anyway, another horrible instance which was going to be used, as always, by the media, by opportunistic politicos, to push through their agenda of gun control and change. And God forbid, hopefully we don't get anything else. Hopefully we don't get another spying bill that says that we have to go and crack down on any sort of social media and everything must be reported, in which case the FBI gets to step in and throw you in jail or take away your guns because your mental health is in question, just like Obama wanted to do. I don't know if you guys remember that, but he wanted to cite an executive order 
or sign an executive order which mandated a new definition of mental health if you wanted to get a gun, which of course would just be a direct entree into the government restricting and revoking people's guns uh, just based upon nothing. Because once they get access to your medical records, once they see you've been to a psychiatrist or psychologist, they can easily say, well, now you've, you know, your, your, your mental state is in question. We can't allow you to have a gun. I mean, God, you could do anything. It's like those ridiculous bills that exist already where a family member can go and report to the state that they think that you shouldn't have a gun, that you're unstable, and they go and they take your gun away. Seems fair, right? Now, one thing I want to talk about, too, in the uh, at the end of this, because I've I've mentioned this before. I believe very soundly in this theory as to why these things keep happening. Because they recently revealed as well that these shooting events have gone up. For a long time, it was more along the lines of, okay, well, these things happen, but they're just being reported more because of the media, which, of course, then <laughs> echoes with people and causes more of these incidents. But they actually have done recent studies which show they, they are going up. And for a long time, we had a decline in gun violence overall, and violent crime as a whole was declining for about the past 10, 20 years. And gun violence was declining as well. Murder rates, suicide rates, all were going down, despite the lies that are told by mainstream media and the left. Things were going very sharply down. Now, unfortunately, over the past couple of years, the left's talking points have been proven correct in that these things are accelerating. They're happening more often. Specifically, this type of mass shooting is happening more often. And it's not falling in line with kind of those bullshit ones wherein school shootings, for instance, which are a lot of bullshit, where they count, you know, somebody firing a BB gun on campus or uh, somebody had a, uh, a hunting rifle in the back of their trunk because they had gone hunting with their friends earlier in the week. Not, not that shit. We're talking about real incidents. So the question is, why do these things keep happening? And I'd done an entire episode on this, essentially tying in, I, I think a lot of blame does fall on the left because of the parenting that goes on. And I don't want to go into a 20-minute diatribe on this because like I said, I did a whole episode on it, which I will link to again in the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL98. But in a nutshell, I think these things are all conflated and all tied into each other when you take the media coverage, when you take the rhetoric that's going on nowadays. And when you add that into social media, you add that in with uh, parenting styles that exist today, which is a, a form of absentee parenting for the most part, a form of valueless parenting for the most part, a form of punishment-less parenting for the most part, wherein, well, it's important to talk to your child and you know, it's whatever you think is right, honey. Okay, you know, we don't want to be too mean to our child. We want to be the child's friend, not their parent, which, of course, is fucking retarded. Doesn't lay the laws down and, and sets childs up to, or the child up to... Uh, to not experience much failure in life, not experience disappointment, and not understand how to deal with emotionally and overcome failure or adversity, which, of course, when you see a child that has not experienced failure or diversity, hasn't learned to deal with it, what do they do? They have a tantrum. They have a violent outburst, especially when they've never experienced any sort of reciprocatory violence or anger growing up. But you tie that in, especially with Facebook, and you tie it in with media coverage, which is amplified on Facebook, where these, now these people say, okay, well, I can be remembered. I can make a statement. People are going to know who I am. I'm going to show them, right? And you've got on Facebook now, and social media in general, you've got personal interactions falling to pieces. 
you don't have people spending time like they used to. You don't have people interacting and conversing like they used to. You've got people now that don't understand how to have a, a general conversation about how their day went with each other for more than two minutes without then feeling awkward and having to look down at their phones or talking about something they saw on, on Instagram earlier that day. That type of interaction is gone. That type of friendship is gone. That type of of general relationship with the people around you where you can associate with another human being on a basic level has fallen to the wayside as we become more isolated within social media. Now we communicate through forums and I'm not knocking forums. We've got a forum on Facebook called the Lions of Liberty Forum. Go ahead, join up. Say you heard about it here on the show from me, the best looking guy on this podcast. So I'm not knocking forums as a whole as a means of conversation to to connect with people that you're not close with. But the problem is with social media that people get wrapped into social media as their lives when they have friend groups and they become distanced from those friend groups or it becomes more animalistic and more, uh, I don't even know, more resentful because as we know, as multiple, multiple scholars have shown us, When you're on Facebook all the time, you get depression. Why do you get depression? Well, because you're isolated, number one. Number two, you're looking at a form of reality that's not true. You're looking at everybody's, you know, watercolor-painted, rose-colored glasses version of their world, of how they're living their life, where everything is peachy keen and wonderful. Either that or, of course, you get the the psychopaths that just post shit because they want attention all the time. That's a different type of bird. But still like tying into the, the same psychosis, by the way, the I need attention, I crave attention, and I don't have a friend group that I can go and talk to on an interpersonal level, one-on-one or as a group in person to have some sort of empathy or have some sort of connection. No, instead, I must post this on Facebook and get one-way conversation going. I post this, I feel this, I want your approval, I want your sympathy, and if I can't get that, then I, who knows, I might fucking snap. But we're seeing an overall breakdown of culture and we're seeing an overall breakdown of society. And I think that social media, without a doubt, is a center point to all of this happening. Why is it accelerating? Why is it among a certain age group more predominantly than any other age group? Well, because those people are on social media and on their phones and on the internet so many fucking hours a day that they have lost a connection with reality. I mean, look, if I wanted to go in theory, and shoot up a bar full of fucking people. I wouldn't do it mainly, well, because I'm not a psychopath, of course, and I respect the non-aggression principle, but also because what would my parents think? What would my friends think? I don't want to have that reputation. I don't want to have people remember me that I care about, that I love as a psychopath murderer, but these people don't have these connections anymore. And that is a major, major problem. All right, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk about all the other shit that went down, including what I agree with Ocasio-Cortez about. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, 
The difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show. All right, we are back. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, or say welcome back to Electric Liberty Land, number 98. Course, show notes, lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL98. So we just had some horrible wildfires happen here in California. And naturally, as a first response, all the leftists cry climate change, which is not actually backed by science. You know, we look at the uh, hurricanes, we look at forest fires, None of these things are related to climate change. If you actually look at the statistics, if you look at the studies, you look at the projections, they were supposed to say, oh, okay, well, all these hurricanes, we're going to have hurricanes and tornadoes and Dorothy's house is going to get destroyed. She's going to meet a lion and a tin man, and then she's going to find some slippers. But none of that shit's really happened. In fact, over the past five, 10 years, hurricanes have been down. Extreme weather events have been down going against the projections. And wildfires, while wildfires have been up, although not to a great extent, but they have been up a little bit more than the average, that, they say, has actually been directly, well, one was actually a wildfire, quote-unquote wildfire, which started due to general dryness or just you know extreme heat. The others, they found, were all man-caused. They were either set by cigarettes, they were set by arsonists, they were from down power lines, which as this most recent, quote, they call it the campfire, quote, campfire, fire that that has uh, killed some 42 people now that was caused by a down power line so none of this shit is caused by extreme weather or global warming slash climate change now they want to argue that oh well no it's because of, uh, of droughts that are happening it's because of of this this scrub brush that just you know it's just been dry now it's drier than usual but again that's that's not actually true and this fire while being one of the worst in in california and some I think almost a uh, hundred years now because the last fire took out like 32 people. And that was back in the, I think the thirties, like 1938. So quite some time since we had a fire that actually killed an enormous amount of people. But when we see this conversation around these people who lost their homes in the fire, which I, know, I feel horrible for them because what can you do? You know, no matter how rich you are. And we're seeing a lot of people that where this people are really getting hit is out in a very wealthy part of Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I had a friend who was evacuated from one portion. Uh, Malibu is where a lot of these houses are getting burned down, and those people are getting evacuated, and they're losing everything. So, you know, hopefully they're taken care of. Hopefully they have have a form of insurance. Uh, but either way, losing that house is is horrible. It's, I mean, it, it, talk about a tragedy because really you can't put back those memories. You can't put everything in place. You'll you even know how you could have any number of insurance uh, <laughs> insurance plans in place to cover your house, but. You're not going to be able to get everything back, and it's just never going to be the same. So my heart does go out to those people. But, you know, Donald Trump took a lot of flack for following that expression of sympathy for saying that California was responsible for the fire and making it into a political issue, which, of course, I despise. It's like I was talking about earlier. It's, you know, using a tragedy to try to push forward your political agenda is some fucking shit. Now, that's not to say that you should ignore the fundamental facts of it, but you might want to wait a little bit. You might want to wait a couple of days. You might want to wait until at least they get all the dead bodies out of the cars. They're still finding bodies in burnt out automobiles as people tried to escape the blaze, which is one of the most horrific things I could think of. Being trapped in a car to slowly 
burning to death. That's where, hey, wish you had a gun then, right? I know I'd fucking put one in my brain. But anyway, so Donald Trump had said in a tweet, and I'm going to paraphrase it, had said in a tweet that this is essentially on California because of their policies on not cutting down as much of the forest, not not aiding and clearing out a lot of that brush like they used to. And this is tied in, in a larger sense, what Trump is getting at is that because of all the regulations and environmental protections that progressive nutbag California has put into place, that these forests are becoming tinderboxes because you're not clearing out a lot of the underbrush. You're not you're not cleaning down the trees. You're not allowing uh, you know lumber companies to come in and clear cut down, which provides some natural barriers to fires skipping over, and they're taking down a lot of those older trees, a lot of the dead wood they're clearing out of there. So Trump does have a point. However, I will say a counterpoint to that. Uh, Ted Lieu, who is, I believe, a senator. I'm not going to bother to look him up. Um, but as I believe a senator, and uh, for the most part, I find to be one of the one of the dumber people pragmatically in the California, uh, as far as a representative of California. Not as bad as Maxine Waters, mind you, but up there. And is a avowed Trump hater. You know, virtually every tweet he says now is just attacking Trump, which is uh, just bothers me on a fundamental level because shouldn't you be doing something better with your fucking time, Ted? But he did hit back at Donald Trump and, and really struck on something that as a libertarian I have talked about before, and it came into play with the Bundy Ranch situation, which is the federal government owning so much land. And Ted Lou struck back and he said, look, hey, California only owns a small portion of this. A lot of this wildfire area is in fact federal land. So, you know, don't come at me, bro. You know, start tending to your own uh, backyard that's on fire. So a very good point to Ted. And I do think it's ridiculous how much land the federal government just happens to own, despite the fact that it resides in a state which should have its own borders and have a, have uh, control of that land. But getting back to this whole concept of regulation and, and forest fires and environmental issues, it's one of those things where you do have to take into account just how bad things have gotten in, in regards to these wildfires, because we've had a lot of these occurring. And again, like I said earlier, mostly caused by men well, or women, obviously, or maybe raccoons with uh, opposable thumbs. I believe a raccoon could light a match, maybe a lighter. I don't know. I got to go to my local zoo and find out or my local library. No, no. Fuck the library. Statists. Funded, funded by tax dollars. Screw that shit. I'll go to a private library. But, you know, you, you see these things and they just massive blazes. And I think Donald Trump has a good point. I think you do need to get in there and you do need to let people get in, especially for the free market to thrive. Let those people get in. Let these forests get, get cut down a little bit. Typically now, every single logging company goes in, cuts down the trees and plants new trees anyway. And we're talking about vast stretches of land, by the way. California is a massive, massive state with a lot of open land. That's what's got you on fire here. And then it spreads to populated areas. We're also talking about interactions between man and nature, which, you know, it's almost unavoidable. So it, it kind of reemphasizes the point that you need to do more to assure that these things can't spread as fast as they can. If, say, a man-made occurrence like a downed power line, which is what caused this fire, a fire, you know, power line from a uh, whatever it was, whatever company was, California State Electricity or something like that, snapped, fell down, bam, hits this tinder on the ground, which has been cleared out, and immediately you've got a wildfire that is uncontainable 
And uh, and now you've got billions of dollars being spent to contain this thing. You know, they have something like 10,000 firefighters still fighting it. I doubt it'll be done anytime in the next week. You've got billions of dollars in home property damage. And of course, if you're one of these morons, like the Keynesians, or uh, or I don't even know, I think it's a, uh, the Keynesians and some other economic group believes that by a destruction, you then create more opportunity. You know, it's like the, the whole concept of going to war to, to spur on the economy. So I guess probably the neocons believe this concept too. But, you know, you create damage, and now by turning that around, ah, you have opportunity. Never mind the fact that these people are out their hard-earned money, they're out their property, they now have to rebuild from scratch. So while, hey, good for the lumber manufacturers, good for the housing companies that are building these new houses, good for all the workers that are going to get wages, the actual cost in wages, the actual cost in finance lost is vastly, vastly outpacing any sort of benefit that's going to come from this for the local economies. So yeah, bad all the way around. All right. That's all I'm going to say in the wildfires. I want to move on to talking a little bit more about a situation with South Africans, white South Africans being barred from using a government youth employment initiative program. And this, uh, this comes from zero hedge reporting that the youth employment service or yes, government job website, which is supposed to help South Africans who have been unemployed for more than six months has been rejecting people that are of white stature. And it requires applicants to be in accordance with the black economic empowerment definition of black. (laughs) So you have to be 18 between 18 and 34 and be defined as black. However, you can also be, uh, I guess other colors, you could be Indian, you could be whatever. You just can't be white. And, you know, without going too deep into this, you know, we already know about South Africa trying to take this land back from white farmers. This kind of a form of state-sponsored reparations, which I think is, you know, it's one of those tricky things where as a libertarian, you say, okay, now if you've been wronged in the past, you should have, you know, that's a violation of property rights. If you did indeed take this land over by force, which they did. However, I have a huge issue with that generations later coming to people and saying, you are on the hook for this. Because when you get to to that point, I can understand you're pissed off. You feel they they altered your life. But, you know, I'm split in the way that when you had a overall global, global culture of violence of uh piracy of domination and that is the way in which land was obtained resources were obtained before the culture evolved to the point wherein you could have free trade where you had free markets and you had these these situations where you were selling your labor rather than uh than acquiring things via conquest i find it difficult to say that someone that's four generations removed from that that time of conquest is now on the hook for what they, I don't know, you know, the government says you owe them or you claim they owe them in some shape or form. That just doesn't make sense to me. And in the same way with reparations for slavery, I understand the theory behind it, but in practice, I don't think it's right. So, you know, this now, this extension, they're, they're already trying to take away the land from these farmers, these, these generation deep farmers. And now, in current day, they're saying, okay, we as a state-sponsored organization, no, as a, as a government that operates on tax dollars, which by the way, they're not saying these white people get to pay less taxes because they're not using this program. No, they're saying we are now going to perform a racially uh, separated 
job program wherein, despite the fact that you pay an equal amount in taxes, you are not allowed to take part in this jobs creation or jobs, uh, I don't even know, allocating website. And that's what terrifies me about the way that this country is going as well, because is this something we could really realistically say would not happen here? I mean, we already have we already have things in place. You know, we've already got the uh, the positioning wherein people of color are given jobs over uh, over white candidates. Now, whether or not that's the private companies like a Google deciding to do it is one thing. But when you've got the government saying, "No, no, you have to hire these this number of people. You have to give these people preferential treatment. You have to have this many uh, people in your college." It would surprise no one if they created a blacks only job website, especially if it was in the Obama era, you know, the era with Eric Holder in there. It would it would surprise nobody if they created something like that. And I'll tell you why this is so frightening to me is because, you know, despite the fact that we've got our own sort of programs here, when you've got the government actively creating hubs wherein they're placing people in jobs, they're they're getting probably because this is a state involved institution, you're probably getting first crack at the jobs. There's probably a requirement that you have to post the jobs when they come about so they know that you're not skirting the system to try to give the jobs to white people over black people. There's all sorts of excuses to why these things would happen, right? But there's not much of a difference between giving people, quote unquote, opportunity that you might feel are underrepresented. And this, of course, despite the fact that the majority of, of people in South Africa are still black, you know, it's the the white the whites are not the majority. They're they're definitively the the minority there, despite having agreed much more wealth because of their own racist policies. So this seems more than anything like less of a let's try to give somebody an opportunity and more of a let's get revenge type of scenario. And if you've got something like that, well, it's not much of a difference between opportunity given to those who who you might think need it and going out of your way to actually subjugate. The minority, because once you have that voting power, once you have this this theoretical democracy at work, right? Well, then what's to say that you can't have the next step? What's to say that now you can't say, okay, well, not only that, you not only can't access this jobs website, but in fact, any job that is posted must be interviewed. Let's say you have to interview three black candidates before you interview a white candidate. Kind of like the Rooney Rule in, a, in the NFL hiring of coaches, where you have to interview at least one black coach. Again. I think that one of the stupidest rules ever because there's, you know, you get around that so easily. But if you're talking about the government, okay, let's say that you mandate you have to talk to three black candidates before a white candidate. Well, odds are you're probably going to hire somebody because, God, you, you probably just don't want to wait that long in general. And if you're a white guy going, you're saying, okay, well, I'll, I'll interview these three candidates. Well, then what's to stop the state from saying, well, we feel like you're not taking this seriously. We're going to fine you. We're going to, uh, we're going to put a, a ban on your business. We're going to sanction your business essentially, or to take it to another conclusion. You look at the premier league. Sorry, I got sports on the brain. I'm just riffing here, but you look at the premier league over in England. Now that's a soccer league. If you're not familiar with it, they have rules on how many local born players you have to have. Like for instance, there was a requirement that you had to have at least 12 English-born players on your squad. Otherwise, you weren't allowed to compete in the English Premier League. Now, you could say, all right, I guess it's the English Premier League. Fine, uh, you know, whatever. But still, a bit of bullshit there. But at least it's not run by the state government. But if it's the government involved, if they have a, uh, a dictatorship over whether or not your business can function, whether or not you have access to banks, 
then what's to say that they can say, okay, well, you need to have at least 70% of your population of your business be black and, uh, and accordingly 30% white, kind of like California is trying to do with forcing women onto the chairman or not chairman of the board, but board positions here. You have to have at least this many women on your board. And when you get down that way, you know, it, it becomes very scary, not only in, in forcing people to, uh, to adapt their business, to adapt, uh, you know, their, their way of doing business to reflect whatever PC supposed reparation, cultural progressiveness, this government wants to put through, but also you've got a government service, which is restricting access to one racial group. Well, what are other programs that they might introduce for your restricted accents or what other, what other functions of government might you not be able to use anymore because you happen to be white? Well, it's like, we talk about segregation. Isn't this exactly what's happening now? And you know, for a country that went through a period where they were dominated by this, you know, these racist white uh, bowers to turn around and do the exact same thing seems to show a complete lack of historical awareness and that they learned absolutely nothing from the experience of being on the other side of that, which is why I oppose fucking basic democracy. Because you do have this type of thing happen where it has, it has nothing to do with the fundamental workings of the country. It has nothing to do with uh, liberty. It has nothing to do with the market. It has nothing to do with what's actually right or wrong. It has everything to do with vengeance and punishing the other side and punishing people that you don't agree with or that you don't like. And we're seeing that play out in South Africa right now. So something to keep an eye on <laughs> in relation to our current state of affairs and uh, the somewhat failed blue wave. Okay, what else do I want to talk about here? Okay, let's talk about, because we're getting up to almost an hour of the show. Let's talk about a couple, couple quick things. One thing is Mexico, their president-elect AMLO, his party is moving towards marijuana legalization, which would be awesome. I mean, you talk about a complete game changer. Canada's already moved to legalize marijuana. That's fantastic. The United States is still holding out. Although, old Jeffy Sessions, old Jeff Sessions, he got fired. Thank God. Kicked that motherfucker out. He can go sit in his porch in Alabama spitting chewing tobacco at all of the uh, all the KKK members he likes to hang around with. If you If you believe that old chestnut. But of course, now we're talking about Chris Christie coming to replace him, who's an e- even bigger douchebag when it comes to the drug war. And despite he's in a, a very liberal New Jersey, continue to push the drug war and some of the worst Second Amendment violations you'll ever see in your life on a state level. So talk about just swapping out a, a fucking turd for a cat turd. You know, there's virtually no difference between them. But if Mexico actually legalizes marijuana, you're going to see a complete alteration in the way that the border plays out. You're going to see a complete change in how many people come over to this country. I mean, you talk about introducing an industry, which now can give all these people that are coming over here to do our farming work. They are now going to take those jobs in Mexico and they're going to get paid a pretty penny for them comparatively. Anyway, not have to deal with coming over here. Plus you're going to see a massive drop in violence. You're going to see the cartels fall apart. Hell, maybe they'll go to slanging cocaine instead, but you're not going to have anywhere near the demand for the drugs as you would with marijuana. So this is huge. And I think if you got on, if you're bordered on both sides by your two closest neighbors who both say marijuana is legal, we're not having a problem with it. And you're going to see this massive drop in the crime rate. 
then I think America's, that's the next domino that has to fall. And you're already seeing all these different states, all these legislators that just got elected, they are pro-legalization of marijuana or at the very least decriminalization and use of medical marijuana. So the United States is on the fast track to legalization and I pray that this AMLO, who is a socialist, by the way, I'm not endorsing this, this douche nozzle, but at least this is one thing where you can agree with them on. And going down that same path, let's talk about me agreeing for once with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Because we have Amazon announcing its new headquarters, which is going to be in Virginia, Northern Virginia, I believe. And they are going to get some sort of ridiculous tax breaks. I mean, just like tax breaks that are shameful, that should cause the local government to bury their heads in the sand, to to crawl into their gold-plated sarcophagi and never show their faces again. And they justify these, these massive tax breaks, which, again, we have in California, too. I mean, Tesla, the only reason Tesla's not bankrupt already is because they have such insane tax breaks from, from local governments. But we've got companies that are getting these massive tax breaks, and it's under the, the promise, just like with uh, with stadiums that get these massive tax breaks and taxes, you know, and, and taxpayer funded stadiums, that they promise it's going to bring business and jobs and industry and everything else. But you know what ends up happening? None of that. You know what it actually brings? It does bring now. Granted, it brings twenty five thousand jobs in theory, but. Of those 25,000 jobs, do you know how many of them are actually going to be filled by local economy people, especially in the context of an Amazon? Maybe 10%. Instead, what's going to happen is that you're going to have Amazon opening up and that Amazon can afford to pay to bring in all sorts of tech gurus from other states that we're going to move to the city that can afford to pay higher rents. It's the same thing that's happening right here in Los Angeles, by the way, and in Seattle and in San Francisco. So you got these massive tax breaks, which then Amazon can pass along and pay their employees more money with. So they go, okay, well, and, and I know Amazon's a very wealthy company anyway, but follow my logic here. So you've got Amazon. They can bring in all these people. They're going to hire 20,000 people. They're going to fly them in. They're getting massive tax breaks, which is unfair to every other business that exists in the region, which fundamentally, by the way, shouldn't we be fucking opposed to? And I know we are as libertarians, but shouldn't everyone on a base logic level be opposed to one company getting such a massive tax break as opposed to any other company in the region? I mean, what if you're a local tech company and you're trying to open up and, and start a new business? So you're an entrepreneur. Are you getting a fucking 70% tax break? And I'm just throwing that number out there, by the way. I don't know exactly what Amazon has worked out. I don't think that's gone public yet. But if you're getting all sorts of ridiculous tax breaks, tax incentive, they say, could hit $2.2 billion across three different developments. And this is not just in uh, Northern Virginia, but this is across the three different headquarters. $2.2 billion in tax incentives. You don't think that that's going to really rub someone the wrong way if they're a competitor to Amazon and Amazon's at everything now. So I could argue that everybody's a competitor to Amazon. In the meantime, you've got these people coming in, you've got 20,000 jobs, quote unquote, created that are going to be filled by people outside of the, of the, the city. And I acknowledge that, yeah, they can help to create jobs around by buying more products, by going to more restaurants, even though, we're seeing a lot of uh, research show that, in fact, people are going out to eat less. So I don't know, maybe they're ordering in. But still, you'd say, okay, well, hopefully the local businesses will get a little boost from their being there. But to say that you're creating 20,000 or 25,000 new jobs is not really true. 
in this context. You're, you're importing jobs. And so what happens? Well, now there's a housing shortage because if you're a place that happens to be like a New York City or a Washington, D.C. or a Los Angeles, well, you've got all sorts of housing regulations in place, don't you? Yeah, it takes years upon years to build new apartment complexes or to renovate old apartment complexes. And on top of that, you've got rent controls in place. So you've got people squatting in the apartments that would go to the lower you know, people that are paying a little bit less money or making less money. And instead, you've got people that are just squatting in those apartments because they don't want to move because they don't want to pay more money. They can afford to. Meanwhile, if you had a free market, you'd be able to have people that were paying a little bit less move into the shittier apartments. And thus, you don't update them as much. And by the way, those rent control apartments don't get updated anyway because you have no incentive to make them nicer if you're not making any money off of it. Arguably, you're losing money off the people that are in rent control apartments. So you have all these things, all this, this confluence of tax and tax incentives of jobs that are being imported and people coming to the city. And then you've got housing prices that are going to skyrocket. And you've got the other issue, like I said, of local businesses getting a complete screw job because they aren't getting the same tax incentives. So the playing field has been completely unleveled by the government involvement. And like I said, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that goddamn idiot actually has come out and said that she is against Amazon having its office there. And the main reason that she is against it is because they are getting these crazy tax breaks. So yes, there's Satan in his long johns having a nice sledding race with Muhammad. <laughs> Not to say Muhammad's in hell, my religious friends. Well, let's say Jesus too. They're all in hell. No, no, no. They're not in hell. It's fine. If you believe in it, don't worry. I'm not saying they're uh, they're Satan's play pals. But the point being, hell has frozen over. I have agreed with Miss Ocasio Cortez, although we very quickly differ because while she has opposed the Amazon uh, headquarters coming to the D.C. area and the New York areas. Because of the tax incentives, which I guess in New York alone is some $1.7 billion, they're saying. She then immediately goes on to say in her Twitter that if we have $1.7 billion to support Amazon with tax subsidies, that we should have $1.7 billion to forgive student loan debt in New York. To which I say, go fuck yourself. Because that's just plain retarded. And this is due to a bill, some other uh, senator put forth a bill saying, well, he opposes the Amazon tax cuts and he had, he uh, is providing a bill that would instead block that $1.7 and put it to student loan forgiveness in New York City, which again is ridiculous. And as we've seen in the past, every time the government gets involved with student loans, especially if it's getting involved in forgiving student loans, well, all you're going to do is have student loans go up. You're going to have the cost of tuition go up because the government's there to bail you out every time. Well, that's what happens, suckers. All right, I think we're going to wrap it there. I'm getting a little bit uh, a little bit tired, a little bit hoarse. So, uh, yeah, a little longer episode for you guys. Went over an hour today. For some reason, you loons seem to like it when I do long episodes. Glutton for punishment, you and your squishy brain. So, guys, thank you for listening. I want to remind you to listen to Mark Clare every Monday with his in-depth interviews with leaders of the libertarian movement. That's on the flagship Lions of Liberty show. Of course, I am here every Wednesday to entertain you as much as I can with my limited wit from... Lack of sleep, which I still just, God damn it, I sleep badly. Anyway, and then you got John Odie Odermatt on Friday with Felony Fridays, giving you insight into the ironically named criminal justice system. 
So that's going to do it for today. Again, you can find all the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL 98. I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, welcome to our new listeners from part of the problem podcast that have come on over here. Always glad to have you guys on board as well as any of the rest of you that might be listening for the first time. Please do give us a review on iTunes. If you'd be so kind, share the show. Nothing is better than that. Tell a buddy. And uh, yeah, like I said, we do have a forum. So jump on the Lions of Liberty forum on Facebook. Just say you heard it from me. Good old Brian McWilliams. All right. So that's going to do it from me, from the Lions of Liberty and from Electric Liberty Land. Always stay plugged into Liberty. Liberty.